If I could, uh, if I could have a chat to uh, Mr. and uh, Mrs. Getty and Stuart Townend, who write these wonderful words. I get them to change one word in that hymn. The word I get them to change is in, in verse uh, 2. Turn my striving into works of grace. Here's my change. Turn my striving into fruit of grace. There is a, a, a big uh, difference. When you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you no longer do any work, works. You, you exhibit fruit that comes out of you uh, for the Lord. So if you see them, just gently suggest to them, they change that word so we're not confused. Now, Romans, Romans chapter 8. Now, last uh, week, we began uh, a series on this uh, chapter. Can I encourage you, if uh, you miss uh, a week uh, or two, um, to, to listen uh, online. Um, continuity uh, with this kind of Bible material really does uh, make uh, a big difference, uh, especially with uh, writing like uh, Romans, like uh, Romans um, 8, where uh, it builds in logical uh, sequence. Now, I'm really wrestling with Romans, and it's not easy. I spent many, many more hours than is reasonable and normal this week on Romans. I was in London staying with Dick Lucas, and I had him with me on Romans. It's a hard, hard letter to grasp. Chapter 8 is a hard, hard chapter to grasp. But if you grasp it, if you dig up its treasures, there is wonderful stuff in here. It's profoundly liberating to me to study this. My problem is I think I'm beginning to get it, but the next thing is to explain it. And in some ways, God doesn't ever give the preacher that simplicity and clarity and ease of explanation. So they think they've just got it sussed, Romans 8. We've got to work at it and wrestle with it and allow God by His Spirit, as we all do that together, to dig up its treasures. If we do, the stuff in here is so precious and so powerful and so life-changing. So listen online and talk to me and read it and struggle with it. Let me remind you of the purpose of Romans 8. Paul writes to give assurance to the Christian. Romans 8 is written to Christians that they might have assurance and confidence in the truth, in the facts of the gospel. It is written to Christians, but always with people who are not yet convinced Christians in mind, that they might become Christians and find the assurance that is to be found only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, just look with me at the bookends of the chapter again, verses 1 and 38 to 39. The two bookends, and they're strong bookends, holding up all that is in the middle. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. That is a strong bookend to your life. In verses 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. In other words, I am sure that nothing, nothing in this world will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are great statements of assurance that for the Christian there is no condemnation and whatever we face in life, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Great statements of assurance. These are the bookends and they are strong and they are solid bookends. They are not going to topple over but there's a big bit in the middle, 37 verses. And that big bit in the middle is there because there are all sorts of reasons we lack assurance. All sorts of reasons that cause us to doubt that we really do face no condemnation, that cause us to doubt that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. As one writer puts it, our DNA as Christians is to doubt. And in some ways, that's uh, true, as we'll see a little later. Uh, Our bodies, where sin still dwells, causes us to doubt. Our bodies where sickness still dwells and death dwells cause us to doubt. And the reasons we doubt, I've just uh, touched on, that we still sin, that we suffer, and that we die. When you're a minister, people say out loud to you, Sometimes, not always, what uh, they think inside. And sometimes Christians say to me, and merely express often what I feel myself, is it really true that I face no condemnation? Is it really true? Is it really true that God loves me? Now, the wonderful thing about Romans Eight is that it asks these questions and answers them. The wonderful thing about the Christian gospel is that it is explained in the New Testament right at the chalk face of real life. And it is articulate and clear At that point, that's why it's so powerful and so encouraging. Now, today, I want us to read from verse 22 of chapter 7 through to chapter 8 and verse 3 or 4. So, the end of chapter 7, verse 22, Paul writes, He's writing personally. As a Christian, 
let me be quite clear on that. Paul is writing here as a Christian. For I delight, he says, in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, that's uh, my body, my flesh, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, we pray these things. Clarity for me as I try to expound and explain this. Attentiveness for us all. Assurance above all. Clear understanding of what your word says, such that our doubts will be dismantled and our assurance built up. And Lord, dare we pray salvation for those who do not believe. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, there are some headings on the service sheet. Do dig that out. It'll help us. Last week, we managed verse 1. The plan uh, for today was uh, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, last night, I came to the conclusion that verses 3 and 4 are next week. Why? Well, because I haven't really understood them fully yet. It's my job to do that. I think I have, but I can't explain them. But there's too much, too much to cover to get to verse 4 by the end of today. We'll be here till 2 o'clock. Somebody suggested to me in the prayer meeting this morning that I preach in this service on verses 1 and 2, and in the next service on verses 1 and 4, and then swap around next week. It's confusing. Let's uh, go to uh, verse uh, 2. There is so much treasure uh, by the time we get uh, there. Now, the problem... The problem Paul focuses on in the first half, at least, if not more, of Romans 8 is the problem of sin as a Christian. The problem of sin in my body still as a Christian. The ongoing battle that you and I have with sin. And that battle with sin in my body causes me to doubt, to question, that robs me of the assurance that in Christ Jesus I really do face 
no condemnation. Now, it might not rob you in your mind of thinking, I, I really uh, might not, it might not be true that I face no condemnation. You might not lead your mind to that conclusion, but the way we live and deal with sin suggests that we don't believe there is no condemnation. One of the downsides of a series of talks on Romans 8 is that we isolate Romans 8 from the rest of Romans. In the original Greek, the original letter as Paul wrote it, there was no such thing as Romans 8. No such thing as chapter divisions with titles. It was a, a continual narrative with an interrupted flow, and it's wise for us to remember that. So, so Paul uh, writes what we call Romans 8 off the back of what we call Romans 7. He didn't call it Romans 7 or Romans 8. And if we can zoom the lens in a bit, he writes the beginning of what we call Romans 8 off the back of what we call the end of Romans 7. Now you get the, the point. And it's important when we come to complex verses in the Bible, like Romans 8, 1, 2, 3, and 4, that we're guided by what he has just said. So what on earth does he mean when he talks about the law of the Spirit of life, verse 2? The law in my members. What does he mean when he talks in verse 3 about the law? It's a different law, verse 2 and verse 3. How do we know? We look at what he has just said. So let's read again verses 22 to 25 of chapter 7. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, that's uh, my body, my flesh, literally, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body, my flesh, my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, Paul is writing here personally about the battle in his life as a Christian with sin. He is writing about what it's like to be a Christian. And the battle he describes is like a battle between two persons. There is, on the one hand, the Christian me, or the Christian you, the delights in the law of God in my inner being, in my mind. And by inner being and mind, Paul means, I think, the same thing. He simply means there's the Christian me in my inner being. There's the Christian you in your inner being. And that, Paul says in Romans, is who you fundamentally are. Who are you sitting here this morning if you are in Christ Jesus? You are in Christ Jesus. You're a Christian. Your inner self, your being, who you truly are, who you fundamentally are, is a Christian. But there's another me, the body that I live in. Now, the body that I live in, you can see the body that I live in. 
before you this morning, I can see your bodies. What do I see when I see you? What do you see when you see me? I see you getting old. Sometimes I see some of you get sick and die. And you see that in me, not getting old. What I don't see, but what I know is there in your body, in your flesh. And what you know is in my body and in my flesh is sin. Sin such that you can't help yourself sinning. It's in your body. There's the Christian me, who I truly am, and there's the body that the Christian me lives in. That's what Paul is saying. Flesh. And the Christian life is a battle between these two persons. The Christian me, who I fundamentally am, the body, the flesh that I live in, which is sinful. And the battle is real. And uh, remember that his major point here is sin, not sickness and death. That'll come later in Romans. The battle with sin in my body is real. And sometimes, oftentimes, I find myself saying with Paul, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am, because I keep on failing, because I keep on messing up, because I keep losing the battle with sin. Now, does that ring true with your experience of the Christian life or not? Do you never get near Paul's conclusion, what a wretched man I am, what a wretched woman I am? Surely what Paul says here is bang on realism of what the Christian life is like. It may not hit the mark in your life, but it absolutely hits the mark in mine. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Why do I keep on messing up? The battle is real. The battle is intense. Isn't it comforting and encouraging to see, to hear from the Apostle Paul that his experience was just like mine? Isn't it encouraging and comforting to hear from God himself in his inspired word that as you sit here this morning and you know that this is true, that that's fine, that's how it is. It's not that you are the exceptional Christian and everybody else around you is fine. Now, in the battle with sin as a Christian, what do you need to hear? What do you need to do? What do you need to know and remember when you're feeling wretched, dirty, battle-weary, when the doubts begin to creep in? What do you need to know before you know anything else? What do you need to know before you need to learn how to battle with that sin in your life? You need to learn that. What do you need to know before you get to the point where you even think about how you're going to battle with that sin in your life? 
What do you need to know to dismantle the doubts that are in your life? Romans 8 verse 1 is what you need to know first. See Paul's logic? That's why he writes Romans 8 verse 1. In this battle that you're having with your body, the Christian me doing battle with a fallen sinful body, wretched man that I am, I'm weary, I'm tired, I feel dirty, guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And in that wonderful way, Romans 8 verse 1 lifts up our minds, lifts up our heads, lifts up our hearts from the battle and says there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Into the arena of doubt, into the DNA of our doubts, into the heat of the battle with sin, God responds, there is no condemnation. The penalty for sin is gone. Everlasting judgment in hell, which is the penalty that hangs over all of humanity for sin, is gone. Gone for those in Christ Jesus. Replaced with everlasting glory. Let me pause and ask you this question. Where are you right now? Are you in Christ Jesus or are you outside of Christ Jesus? Are you in him with no condemnation on your head or outside of him condemned to an eternity in hell? Where are you now? Or where will you be for all of eternity? There is always room in Christ if you are outside of Him to come to Him by faith. He has paid the penalty for your sin. There is no condemnation. All it takes, all it takes is faith. Now, as a Christian battling with sin and doubting, Romans 8 is a wonderful encouragement and assurance. And it's a wonderful encouragement and assurance because it is not a hypothetical or a theoretical truth. It is real. Right now, there is sin in my life, maybe some deep, dark sin. I am certain that in this room, there is someone who is feeling dirty and guilty and weighed down with guilt from present sin, from past sin, from something or other. And God says to you, in the middle of that pit and that valley where you are in, there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Hang on to that. Hold on to that. Wretched man that I am. Now, if that is the first and most important thing that you need to hear in the battle with sin in your life as a Christian, what else do you need to know? Chapter 8 and verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, verse 2 is not what it might seem to be in the sense that the word for at the beginning of the verse seems to suggest that verse 2 is an explanation of verse 1. It's not. Paul is not saying, 
there is no condemnation because the law of sin of the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. He's not saying that. He's not saying that there's no condemnation. How is that true? Because the law of the spirit of life has set you free. He's not saying that. We need to see verses 1 and 2 as kind of parallel tracks. In other words, for the Christian, for you, if you are in Christ Jesus, verse 1 is true. Now, there is no condemnation for you. Put that to one side. Verse 2 is also true. You have been liberated from the law, whatever Paul means by law, of sin and death. Verse 1 is a great encouragement to you. It says no condemnation. It lifts up your head. Verse 2 is a great encouragement to you because it lifts up your head and says you can make progress. You can do battle with that sin in your life, whatever it is. Verse 1 tells you as a Christian that the penalty has been paid. Verse 2 tells you as a Christian that a change has taken place in your inner being, in your very fundamental human nature, such that you have been liberated from the power of sin. So the Christian life, and this is great and encouraging, is not just about hanging on and despairing. The Christian life is not every day going to sleep at night saying, what a wretched man that I am. It is some days. But the Christian life, many days, is saying, God has transformed my inner being by the Holy Spirit such that I can make progress in the Christian life. And I am, God willing, making a progress. Remember chapter 7, a few minutes ago, when Paul speaks about the battle between two persons. Look back to these verses in chapter 7. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my body another law, the law of sin and death, the battle between the Christian me in my inner being, who I fundamentally am, and the body that I live in, which is uh, sinful. And that is exactly, I think, what he's talking about here in chapter 8 and verse 2, the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. Chapter 8, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life. That's what Paul was talking about in chapter 7. The Christian me, who I truly am, my inner being. And the law of sin and death, chapter 8, verse 2. It's what he's talking about in chapter 7. The sinful nature, the power of sin that is at work in my body and in my flesh. Now that's what I think he's talking about in chapter 2 by law. And how do we know? Well, because that's what he's been talking about in chapter 7. And notice the very significant phrase in the middle of the verse, has set you free in Christ Jesus. You fight the battle with sin on the winning side. The Christian, me, my inner being, the power of the Holy Spirit that is within me is greater than the power of sin at work in my body. Sin is no longer sovereign in my life, nor yours. Sin is no longer my master or yours. You and I have a new sovereignty, a new master. Now, don't for one minute think this image of two persons is kind of dualism. It's not a duel between two people where the outcome is uncertain. 
The true me, the true you is a Christian in Christ Jesus. And you do battle on the winning side with what is in your body, your physical body, your flesh, which is sin. Let me come at this a slightly different way. What has happened to you if you were a Christian? How have you been liberated? Who has liberated you? It's wonderful language, isn't it? Set free, liberation, battle. Think of the great battles in history when, when some decisive conqueror comes onto the battlefield and liberation comes. It's what's happened. Who has liberated you? Well, Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 8, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has liberated you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit has, Christian, invaded your sinful body. Isn't that wonderful? The legions of God, the Holy Spirit, has invaded your flesh and blood to do battle with that flesh and blood. And in the, Holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you battle with sin on the winning side. The power of the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life, that work in you is greater than the power of sin, the law of sin and death that is still in your body and in your flesh. Now do you begin to see what Paul is saying? It's not easy to get this. It's hard to see. It's wonderful when we do, though, to understand that we have been liberated by the Holy Spirit, that we walk. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks, that we walk. Romans 8, verse 5 and 6 and 7 and so forth. We walk. Uh, notice he says walk. He doesn't say run or fly on wings. Walk. It's hard. We walk. We live. What? In the power of the Spirit. Not controlled by the flesh, but controlled by the Holy Spirit. To understand that we have been so liberated. So liberating. To understand that we have been so liberated is so liberating. That you and I can make progress in the battle with sin. Now, let me say something else about this. You see why we can't get to verses 3 and 4. Some of you were thinking I was going to. <laughs> no chance. The power of the Spirit of life that is within you now, your true self, who you truly are fundamentally, is within you now and for eternity. Now, mark that down. The power of the Spirit of life that is within you now is within you for eternity. The power of sin that is still within you now in your bodies will only be within you until your sinful body and mine is dead physically. And you and I are raised with resurrected bodies which have no sin in them. In a resurrected earth which has no sin in it. Because Christ has died. Verse 3 and 4. Because Christ has died, we have been set free from Romans 8 verse 1. The penalty for sin, no condemnation. 
because Christ has died. We have been set free from Romans 8, verse 2, the power of sin. It is no longer sovereign. We are being changed in the power of the Holy Spirit because Christ has died. It is guaranteed that one day we will set free from the presence of sin. He has been raised and we will be raised with a resurrection body. And the earth will be raised with a resurrection body. This planet will be raised with a resurrection body. The hills will be resurrected. The jungles will be resurrected. The earth we stand on will be resurrected. And we will live forever without sin in our flesh in a world where there is no sin. And that is where you and I are headed. And so you battle with sin as victors and not as victims. You battle with sin as people who are not condemned, people freed from the penalty of sin, and freed from the power of sin. And freed from the power of sin, the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life, is in the process of putting to death the sins in your flesh, that comes in verse 13 of Romans 8. Putting to death the sins in your faith until the day your body dies and there is no more sin in your body, in your flesh, because you will be raised with a sinless body. And all that will be within you is the law of the Spirit of life for eternity. And the world you live in, and you see the world we live in, crowds in upon our sinful bodies. We get sick from the world, diseases in the world. That world will be sinless, and you will be raised with a sinless body, with the law of the Spirit of life is the only thing within you, in a sinless world, with Jesus. And that's where you're headed. That's the path you're on. And so, you fight sin as a victor, you fight sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. You fight sin as somebody not condemned, delivered from the power of sin. Now, I could finish the sermon by saying, come on then, let's fly like eagles' wings in the power of the Spirit. And this week, let's reach, let's reach perfection in the Christian life. By Monday lunchtime, you'd be at rock bottom again. What's the language Paul speaks in? A battle. What does he say? Wretched man that I am. It's a battle. It's real. We're sinful. Now, I hope that uh, Romans is helping you to understand just what happens when we are converted. If you're up to your neck in sin, if you're feeling guilty, wretched man, woman that I am, what does God say to you? He says to you, rest assured. Rest assured. Now, if we could go on to Romans 8, 15 to 19, he'd say, rest assured, my child. That'll come later. Rest assured. If you are sitting here thinking, what a wretched man that I am, and I know some of you are, and I know I often do, that in itself is assurance you're in Christ Jesus. 
conscience awakened. And then he says to you, before we get to how to deal with sin, no condemnation, verse 1. And then he says to you, liberation, verse 2. A change has taken place in your inner being that has liberated you from the power of sin. Sin is no longer your master. The Holy Spirit has invaded your body. The Holy Spirit has come onto the battlefield, and it's a, it, there is no question what the end result is going to be. Sin is going to go. Verse 1 is a great encouragement. Verse 2 is a great encouragement. No condemnation. A change in your inner being. Now, let me close by reading two verses of Wesley's hymn. And uh, when you get this kind of stuff in Romans, you begin to understand, I think, what Wesley meant when he wrote, that we don't really understand until you understand this. Here's what he writes. He, he kind of reverses verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8, but that's okay. We'll let him off with that. Here's what he writes. He writes this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay. That spirit with a small s, just my being, my soul. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. This is before you become a Christian. Fast bound in sin, i.e. sin's sovereignty and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. That's Victorian language for the illumination of the gospel in your life. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. I woke up. I woke up. The dungeon flamed with light. What happened then? My chains fell off. What does he mean? You've been set free, liberated. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and sailed on wings like eagles. No, I followed you. Just followed you. I walked. The last verse. No condemnation. Now I dread. Jesus and all in him is nine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in his righteousness divine. One of the things I would have said. Here's a trailer for next week about verses 3 and 4. Here's a theological term for you. If I could get it the right way around. Imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Let me tell you what they mean. Righteousness is what Jesus is. Imputed righteousness is what you are. Imputed righteousness is his status given to you. Christ died and bore your condemnation in his sinless flesh and gave you his righteousness. You sit here, and he has imputed his righteousness to you. You are forgiven. You face no condemnation. God looks at you, and he sees a child of God. That's what he says in Romans 8. God looks at you, and he sees a co-heir with his son. Isn't that marvelous? That's imputed righteousness, status change, adoption, Something else wonderful happened when Christ died. He imparted his righteousness to you. And what that means is that uh, the effects of Christ's death uh, are appropriated into your body when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and Christ's righteousness or Christ-likeness or what it is to be 
godly or holy is imparted into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you sit here and your status is righteous and righteousness is beginning to take hold of your life and your body as you walk. Walk, remember, not run or fly as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see how wonderful it is to be a Christian? Imputed righteousness. No condemnation. Imparted righteousness. The Spirit of the living Christ is living in you. He has invaded your body and He is doing battle far better than you can with a sin that resides in your body. And that battle will be finally won. The day you die and you will be given a resurrected, sinless body. And all that you will have for eternity is spirit and life. Our Father, these are great and marvelous truths. Father, we pray that as Christians, often feeling wretched, battle-weary, that we would understand just the full orb of the gospel and what it means and what it's done in our lives. That in the battle with sin, no condemnation is true and we fight as victors, not as victims. But Christ has imputed His righteousness to us. We are children of God, no condemnation. But He has imparted Himself into us by the Holy Spirit. And we are beginning now to live the righteous life bit by bit, day by day, walking, not running, not flying. But we are being changed. And the inevitable progress of that transformation is that the power of the Spirit of life will reside with us for eternity in sinless bodies, in a sinless world. And Lord, for those here who are not in Christ Jesus, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, move them to come, to lay hold of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Lord, why won't they come? Help them to come. For there is always room in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to sing these words with fresh and new understanding. My chains have gone. My heart is free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.